Morning. Hey, we're getting it together here, little by little. It is so good to see everybody this morning. Didn't they do amazing this morning? Uh, Stephanie and our team, they did amazing. Thank you very much. Well, is everybody glad to be here today? I got to get used to these lights. Okay, well, first off, I want to... Uh, give you guys some serious kudos. I have not heard one complaint. We are, have no donuts today. We have a torn up parking lot. No Pastor Jake. Half the staff is gone. I mean, you guys are amazing. Give yourselves a gold star. Yes. Um, by the way, we have, as of this morning, at least according to my count, three new babies. Jasmine's. Melodies, and as of this morning, Kayla's. Yeah. So, um, you know, we have just the most amazing church. And there's so many reasons. One of the reasons, honestly, is just because we have so many people that are living for the Lord, and they're using what God's given them to bless other people. And so this church just runs like clockwork, even without half the team here. Um, I'm just really proud of our church. So, um, in case you're new this morning, welcome. We are really glad you are here. Hope you already feel at home and hope that this morning God will speak to you. Um, but in case you're wondering, I am not Pastor Jake. Uh, my name is Mark Harpam and I'm one of the team here. But uh, thank you. Um, so also, I just want to make sure that you know that if anything heretical is said this morning, it will be corrected next Sunday. All right? Okay. So first off, uh, just to see if you guys are awake, I want Robbie to throw up that first picture. Let's see if, if we can do that. No, not that one. No, no, no. Did you get the two pictures I sent you? You didn't. Okay. Okay. You're going to have to use your imagination. Sorry. They were really good pictures. Um, so here, here we go. Why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the other side. You guys are awake this morning. But we're going to update it a little bit. Why did the chicken cross the road? Because it was free range. Another one. Why did the chicken cross the road? Because it was social distancing. I've got one more. Why did the chicken cross the road? to boldly go where no chicken has gone before. <laughs> and so like the chicken here at Joy Church, we are attempting to boldly go where many of us have never gone before. We are attempting to love God, love people, and make disciples. That's our mission here at Joy Church. And we're, we're learning that. I'm learning it. I don't have it all figured out yet, but I am learning and by God's grace, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to figure out and get better at it as each year goes by. But loving God is really all about worship. And that's what we're talking about for the last couple of weeks. And so this morning we're going to talk about that a little bit more. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Then in John chapter 4, 24, Jesus says this, The Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. 
So let's, let's pray this morning. Father, thank you so much, God, that we got to come here, we get to be together, and Lord, most importantly, you are here. Father, I just pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds. Lord, I believe that you have something to speak to every single one of us this morning. So Lord, just let us receive it and respond in faith this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So... I want to give you uh, a, another definition of worship. Worship is a huge topic. There is so much that could be said, but I want to give you another one. So worship is three things. Number one, it's honoring one as supreme. One. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but Jesus at one point says, you can't love money and God at the same time. You're going to love one and hate the other or love the other and hate the other. However, I got that right there. But anyway, you get the point. Um, so it's honoring one. You can't honor, honor two in worship. Number two, it's looking for one for your deepest needs. Looking to one for your deepest needs. And thirdly, it's communing with one. So why is worship such a big deal? In uh, Exodus chapter 20, uh, God is talking to his people. And he's, he gives them this simple instruction but it sounds kind of strong. He says, do not worship any God except me. Why would he say that? Why does God say, don't worship any other God? Well, I'll tell you one reason. It's because he wants to be the one to love you. He wants to be the one to meet your deepest needs. He wants to be the one that takes care of you and is in a relationship with you. He he loves you so much. He doesn't want somebody else to do it. He wants to be the one that takes care of you, that blesses you. And he wants to be the one to give you the four S's. What are the four S's? You guys, I worked really hard on this, and I came up with an alliteration, a four-word alliteration. So here we go. Here's four things that God wants to provide for you and me. Number one, self-worth, self-value. He wants to give you that. Number two, he wants to give you significance. You are important. He wants to give you security. Now, that doesn't mean he wants to uh, take all fear away from you, but he wants to give you security. He wants to give you, and this one I had to work hard on, serenity. Joy is the word I wanted. Couldn't find one that starts with an S. Serenity. So these four things, now again, that doesn't mean that God wants to give you, you know, a huge bank account. He wants to give you all the toys in the world, all of that kind of stuff. But these are our core issues that every single one of us want. We need these four things. These are the things that mean more than anything else in our lives. And God, he wants to be the one to provide those for you. Now, in John chapter 4... Jesus is on his way from Jerusalem to Galilee. And on his way, he has to pass through this area called Samaria. Now, the Samarian people were a mixed race of people. They were half Jew and they were half Assyrian. And these people were hated by the Jews. So much so that you wouldn't even speak to them. You wouldn't acknowledge their presence. And most of all, they were not allowed to enter into the temple. That would be the worst, the, the biggest tragedy of it all. So these people were hated. 
So Jesus meets this woman. When you guys have all heard the story, he meets a woman. We learn about this woman that, okay, number one, she's a Samaritan, so she's, she's, she's worthless, start off there. Secondly, she's a woman. But thirdly, she has been married five times. And now she's living with a sixth man, and she's not married to him. So she is really blocked from any relationship with God in their way of thinking at that point in time. She could not in any way, shape, or form get anywhere close to the presence of God. She was blocked, and that's how she felt about herself. So where am I here? Okay, so... Um, if you think about it for a minute, five marriages and now a sixth, she was trying to meet her deepest needs, in this case, through a relationship with a man. That's what she was trying to do. She had this deep need in her life, and she tried one guy, well, that guy didn't make it, let's try another one, that one guy didn't make it. She kept trying because she wanted to meet that need in her life. So. In Matthew chapter 13, going back to this uh, parable that Jesus gives, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. You and I are just like this woman. We are searching for something to meet our needs. We are searching for pearls. We're looking everywhere, and we are not finding them. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says it this way, instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of worshiping the creator himself. And that's really what the human race has done all along. We have looked in all of the wrong places to try to meet the needs that we have in our life. We are looking to the things that God created, wonderful things, great things, but we're looking for them to meet our needs. We are making them a false god within our lives. And unfortunately, these false gods can never, they are incapable of meeting our needs. So when I was 12 years old, I made my way to the bicycle shop. And so I don't know if you guys know, that, but back then, before Al Gore invented the internet, there were no such things as computers, smartphones, all of that kind of stuff. There was a thing called a catalog. Anybody heard of a catalog before? Okay. So I got a hold of a catalog. Now, does anybody remember the Schwinn Varsity 10 Speed? Anybody out there? Come on. Okay, the, the Varsity 10 Speed. I got that catalog and I, I memorized every sentence, every fact, every specification about this bicycle. Now, I would have been dreaming about a motorcycle, but they were way out of reach, okay? So this bicycle, I wanted one in the worst way. And, and so I did everything to get one. I picked beans. I picked berries. I even pulled weeds for the neighbors. I did everything I could. And finally, I earned my 100 bucks, talked mom and dad into taking me down to the bike, bicycle shop, and I plunked my money down, and I bought that Varsity 10-speed. Put that thing in the trunk. It was hanging out the back on our way home. Mom and dad had to stop for some errand or something. And wouldn't you know it, they backed into something and bent the rim of that bicycle. My pearl was no longer 
of any value. Actually, we did get it fixed. But my point is that bicycle, that was my pearl. That was what I was looking to. That was the, the focus of my life. It failed me. It didn't meet my expectations. It didn't bring to me what I wanted it to bring to me. And as Christians, so often we allow things in this wonderful life to come in and wiggle their way into our hearts and to take center stage of our lives. And we're looking for those things to meet our needs, but they don't. In fact, they begin to control us. They can begin to turn us into people that we didn't intend to become. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says it this way, you followed the ways of this world and obeyed the devil. Again, that sounds like looking for something to fulfill your needs. Guess what happens? He rules the world, and his spirit has power over everyone who doesn't obey God. You were also ruled by the selfish desires of your bodies and minds. So every Christian, all of us, we've all done this. We have all sinned. We have all found ourselves worshiping a false god. We've let things, good things, come into our life and take center stage and kind of push God a little bit off to one side or the other. I just want to give you a couple of things that happens when, when we allow a false god to take center stage in our life. Number one, it lets you down, guaranteed. Number two, it actually steals from you. Number three, it keeps you from your God-given calling. Number four, it changes you for the worse. How many uh, Lord of the Rings fans do we have in the room this morning? What is the worst character? Well, I should say one of the worst characters. There's a bunch of them. Gollum, to me, represents one of the people that, in my mind, Tolkien was trying to communicate, this is what happens when you put the wrong thing at the center stage of your life. Gollum was a normal hobbit in the beginning of the story. And as he pursued the ring throughout his life, it little by little changed him for the worse. Next thing it does is it enslaves you. And it enslaved Gollum in that story as well. And finally, it prevents you from having intimacy with God. And that's what we're designed to have. So Jesus is saying in this parable, look at the pearls that you've been searching after. You've been running after them. They're all going to fail you. So, how do we live this life of worship that God has called us to? This, how do we put God in that place where he longs to be in our lives? Okay, i got to figure out this time clock here. Okay, we're doing good. The first thing that we need to do is we need to recognize the lesser pearls in our life. So again, all of us have this temptation. We, we are born in this world and there is this guy called the devil. And just like Adam and Eve, he comes and he says little things. This will get you what you want. God doesn't really care that much about helping you in this area. This will help you more than he will. And he offers his subtle little lies, and he pulls us little by little off course. And it is so easy to happen. So the first most important thing is we have to examine ourselves. We have to stop and say, okay, what is it? Is there something? Now, hopefully that hasn't happened. That's not where you're at right now. But for most of us, 
this is something that is a regular thing that we have to look at. What has happened to me right now? Am I, where am I at in my heart? Has something else taken that center stage spot in my life? Is something else taken that role that is, can only be given to one? So the second thing we need to do, Matthew 13, Jesus says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who finds one pearl of great value. We need to see Jesus as the ultimate pearl that he is. So I don't know if you guys realize this. I'm sure you do because you're all really smart people, but I love to think about it. That is the fact that Jesus created everything. He created, obviously, the universe, the galaxies, the stars, our solar system, the earth, all the way down to the atoms, to the electrons, to the protons, to things even smaller than that. He created it all. He is smarter, he's wiser, he's stronger than Elon Musk. Can you believe it? He created this whole world, designed every facet of it so that Elon Musk can do what he can do. Amen? He is the one that thought about calculus and all of the different things so that smart people can do some really cool things. Has anybody here heard of the famous scientist James Tour? Anybody heard of him? I know a couple of you have because we've talked about it. James Tour talks about the fact that 70 years ago, scientists first discovered that maybe this is how life began. They did an experiment and they shocked some gas and some liquid and various things and something happened. I thought, hey, we can create life. Well, if you ever want to listen to James Tour, just look him up on YouTube and watch what he has to say. He will go into great depth. But here's what's happened. In the last 70 years, our technology has shown us how incredible the simple cell is, how complex it is. And he says that with all of our investments, we are getting further and further and further away from ever creating life. He actually said, I will give you and, well, first he explains how, how difficult it is to even make some of the things needed in a cell. He says, I will give you every component of a cell. I'll hand it to you. Now, give it life. So that's the God that we serve. That is just, just a fraction of who he is. And this God chose to come here and take on human body, be born in a humble situation, and then he went on and he actually fulfilled prophecy. He did miracles that no man has ever done, and then he died a violent criminal's death, and then he came back to life as he said he would. He did that for one reason, because he wants you to have him center in your life. He wants a relationship with you that will fulfill the deepest needs. Now again, Jesus doesn't promise you a comfortable life. He doesn't promise you a big bank account. He doesn't promise you the cutest girl on the planet, okay? He doesn't promise you all of those things, but he does promise 
that he will meet the deepest needs of your life and he will give you, he will put you on a trajectory where you, where you will accomplish the things that he has called you to, to accomplish that actually will give you fulfillment and purpose in life. That is the Jesus that we're talking about here. Timothy Keller says this, he says, Jesus is the only Lord who, if you find him, can truly fulfill you. And if you fail him, can truly forgive you. That's the Jesus that we serve. I don't know about you, but after I chose to follow him, I have failed him. I have not lived up to what he has called me to. I have failed him, but he continues to forgive me. He continues to invite me to walk forward. He continues to say, Mark, I love you, and you just get up again, and we're going to keep doing this thing, and I'm going to take you to places you could never go by yourself. That is the Jesus that we serve. So once we recognize this amazing pearl, the pearl of ultimate price, the third thing is we have to make the costly exchange. Matthew 13 this man, he went and he sold all that he had. He sold all of his pearls. So in 1978, I was a junior, starting my junior year of college at Portland Bible College. And uh, in that small school, there's one day of registration. On that particular day, I scoped out all of the new freshman girls. And they were all pearls, but they were just pearls. But the very next day, somebody showed up late. And when I caught a glimpse of that pearl, I said, that is the ultimate pearl right there. And guess what? I'm letting go of every other pearl. I'm letting go of every lesser pearl so that... I can get this one pearl, and her name is Lori. Yeah. So you've got to let go. And, and sometimes that is a very difficult thing to do. If you've been on a journey for many years, and you've been building this thing, whatever it is, whether it's a career, whether it's a relationship, whatever it is, um, if you've been on this path for a long time, that thing has taken a hold of you. And sometimes it is very difficult to let that go. But here's the key. Got to back up to point number two. Do you see the beauty of Jesus? Do you see what he's inviting you to? Do you see how wonderful, how magnificent it is to have him at the center of your life? If you do, it's easy to let go. Now again, I'm not saying it's easy. It's never easy. But when you say, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to do it. I'm going to let go. Jesus is right there to help you. In Matthew 13, 44, I have to share the uh, previous parable that Jesus gives. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He first hid it. That just tells you what a discovery he had made. He's like, wow, this is amazing. 
I've got to hide this thing because I've got to hurry up and sell everything as fast as I can and i got to get back here before somebody else finds it because this is worth everything and I I'm, I'm, can't wait to sell everything. It says, in his joy, he went and he sold it all. So this exchange that we're talking about, really, it's a no-brainer. It should be easy-peasy, but it's tough. It's hard, and we need to understand that. We have friend, brothers and sisters Friends that are struggling to let go of something, but we got to help them. We got to encourage them. We got to be there for them. And we got to say, You can do it. You can refocus your life. You can let go of whatever this is. It may cost you. It may cost you some, you know, a job. It may cost you success. It may cost you prestige. It may cost you something, but it's worth it because what you're going to gain is so much more valuable. So in John chapter 4, Jesus gives two requirements to the Samaritan woman. These really are key to staying on track. Jesus says, the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. He's inviting you. He's inviting me. The time is here. It's now. We don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to go through all of these things they had to in the Old Testament. The time is now when God says, I'm inviting you. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What does Jesus mean when he says in spirit and in truth? And I'm going to give you just two really simple definitions. Verse 1 will be point number 4 here. To worship him in spirit means to love him with your heart. It means to really love him inside. It means not to just put on a show, not to just act like it, but to really, in your heart, that is what matters. In Mark 7, Jesus says this, They worship me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And the message paraphrase says it this way, These people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their heart is isn't in it. So Jesus wants a real relationship. So what I have to have to ask ourselves this morning is where is my heart at right now? So hopefully again we've we've made we, we've seen Jesus for who he is and we're on that path, but we get easily pulled off course. We easily allow our love to diminish and kind of move over here. So I need to look at myself. What do I need to do? Do I need to go on a date with Jesus? Do I need to spend some time with him? Do I need to rekindle my love for him? Do I need to think about who he really is? What do I need to do? Scriptures tell us that we can rekindle our love for him. We can refocus our affection on him. We can, we can recognize, and that's really important, recognize that he is so amazing and everything else does not compare. Proverbs 4 and 23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. 
if I am in love with Jesus, if he really is at my heartbeat, if, if he's where I'm at, he's where I'm living, I'm in love with him, guess what? Those little lies, the little um, enticements that try to pull me off track are not going to be as easily able to enter because my heart is full. I'm in love with Jesus. He's my center. And so those little things are going to have a little bit more difficult time getting in and pulling me off. I'm going to stay on course. So this is so important that I worship him with my heart. He has my heart. I'm going to love him radically. I'm going to love him with all of my heart. The next one, worship him in truth. What's that basically mean? It means follow him according to his word. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus says this, it is useless for you to worship me and then teach rules made up by humans. In other words, come up with your own way of doing things. In the message paraphrase, he says it this way, they act like they are worshiping me, but they don't mean it. They just use me as a cover for teaching whatever suits their fancy, ditching God's command and taking up the latest fad. So I've got to actually, in my lifestyle, in my actions, say, okay, yes, Lord, you are number one. You are the center of my life, and my life is going to reflect it. I'm going to dig into your word. I'm going to see what you have to say. I'm going to try to understand it. I'm going to ask for help, and I'm going to try to apply it to my life because your ways work. So I don't know about you, but there are some things that I do only because I love my wife. <laughs> there are some things that she asked me to do that I honestly don't really understand why I'm doing this, but she asked me to. And so, with a good heart and with a good attitude and a smile on my face, yes, dear. Because, number one, she's a woman and I'm not. There's things that are important to her that just are not important to me. But because they're important to her, they're important to me. And you know, sometimes it's the same way with God. Guess what? He's God, I'm not. If it's important to him, it's important to me. But you know, honestly, God does know us best. He created us. He created this whole world. And so he knows what actually is going to fulfill me, what actually is going to keep me from messing up and hurting myself. I love Joshua 1.8. It's one of my favorite verses. It says this, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then Will you prosper and succeed in all you do? So I'm asking myself, is the Word of God a priority in my life? Is the Word of God every day something that I go to? Do I think about it? Do I meditate about it? Do I ask God, okay, God, how do I, how do I live this out? How do, how do I make this happen on Monday morning? How do I actually put this into practice and not just say, I love you, but actually mean it in my actions. Because again, if we go all the way back to the beginning of this message, God wants to be that person that is center of our lives because 
He cares about us. He wants to be the God that provides for us. He wants to be the God that protects us. He wants to be the God that is with us. You know what? When you say, God, I don't really fully understand this, especially in our culture today, but God, I am going to do my best to follow your word in this area of my life. I'm going to obey you, even though it's not fun, it's not easy. You know what? God says, yes. He's getting it. Yes, he's starting to go in the right direction. And God pours his Holy Spirit upon you, and he says, I'm going to help you. As you just say, yes, God, the Holy Spirit says, I am right there. I am going to help you. And in so doing, you're actually saying no to those lesser pearls. You're actually recognizing those things for what they are, and you're saying yes to the pearl of great price. So, how do I live a life of worship? Number one, recognize those things. And this isn't just a one-time thing. This is an ongoing thing. I recognize, are there things that are creeping back in? Because this, this is a lifelong journey. This isn't just a one-day thing. This is a lifelong journey, and the enemy is going to continue to try to push God out of the way and move right in. So am I recognizing the lesser pearls in my life? Am I seeing Jesus as really who he is? Am I making that costly exchange? It's worth it. So worth it. And then am I loving him with my heart, the real me, the real center of my being? Am I saying, yes, Jesus? And number five, am I following him according to his word? And as I do that, he is changing me little by little. So I can't end without giving you uh, one important quote. C.S. Lewis said this, It is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. In worship, God imparts himself to us. Isn't that good? So, let's pray this morning. Father, we recognize that we are prone to look in the wrong places. We are prone to allow other loves to enter our heart, enter our lives. The world pushes those things towards us. The enemy does his part. Our, our, our own selves do it as well. And God, we want to recognize anything this morning that we need to say, out you go. Jesus, come on to center stage. Jesus, be the center. Jesus, I see who you are. And I want you to be the center of my life every day. I want to walk with you because when I do that, I'm going to truly experience everything that you died for me to experience. So, Father, we just pray that you do that in each one of our hearts this morning. So if you would uh, just continue to keep your eyes closed, your heads bowed. We want to always make an opportunity. If somebody today wants to begin to follow Jesus. This is your day. This is your time. This is your moment. Take that step. So if, if you're saying, yes, I want to do that. I recognize Jesus is the one. I want to give him my life. I want to make him center of my life. I want to give him control of my life. I recognize that I can't do it on my own. If that's you, just go ahead and raise your hand this morning. Just you're, We're not going to make you come down here or anything, but we just want you to take that step of faith by, by raising your hand and saying, yes, that's me. Thank you. 
Thank you. Let's pray together. Jesus, I recognize that I need you. I recognize that I've put other pearls in my life. I've put other things in my life besides you. Today, I want to follow you. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for paying the price for me. Today, I make you the leader, the Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Amen.